Welcome to Seek Justice, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the nuances of criminal justice. Good morning, Dennis. Well, good morning, Eric, and how are you? Pretty good. I was thinking since a couple episodes ago when we uh, mentioned the researcher Jennifer Doliak, she and I have mutually followed each other on Twitter, and so I see some of her of her, her insights that she broadcast to the world. And it, um, she had a one that really struck me as a, you know, I will admit to being fairly liberal in my politics and thinking more about helping the less fortunate than, you know, trying to empower corporations to make as much money as they can. And she had a, it's always, it's always nice to get a surprising take that butts up against your, your worldview. So she, she tweeted, and we'll link to this in the show notes at seekjustice.fm slash zero one zero, because this is episode 10. Uh, she said, working on criminal justice top- topics gives me a very different perspective on the Kochs, meaning the Koch brothers, than my equally liberal friends and family have. The, Koch, the Charles Koch Foundation and the Charles Koch Institute are perhaps the most important funders of research related to criminal justice policy and reform. And then she goes on for a couple more tweets to talk about how the times that she has worked on research funded by, by the Koch brothers, they have been very hands-off and have not you know, told her, we expect you to find this, that this policy works and this policy doesn't or anything like that. They've, they seem to respect the science uh, aspect of her research. And then she goes on to say that the Coke industries for a long time were a major proponent of the ban the box policies, which we've mentioned before on this podcast, but we might get into again. And she says that when her research on ban the box, which they did not fund, came out showing detrimental effects, they were eager to hear about it and engage with the results and talk about it, which seems, you know, it's very easy to get this cynical viewpoint of, oh, well, a study found this. Well, look who funded it. You know, look at all these climate studies funded by the, 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 the oil industry. And we, as news consumers, it's very easy to disregard stuff because they're funded by someone that, uh, where the findings came out in their favor. And it's refreshing to me, at least, who, you know, I've grown a layer of cynicism on my news consumption. It's refreshing to at least hear that in some cases, it's that cynicism is not all that well-founded. And and I wanted to talk to you today about motivations, you know, and incentives in research on criminal justice, uh, how those how that messy web gets entangled and how should I be really cynical of a study funded by Pew or the Koch brothers or yeah. I don't know the the GOP or the DNC. It's a great point. You know the 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 fact is it's either good science or it's not good science, and it so it's either good research or not good research. And so, you know, you've got these uh, very few uh, major funders in the justice arena. You know, meaning millions or even tens of millions of dollars, and it's very limited. Uh, the Koch brothers is one example, and uh, Arnold Foundation now recently renamed Arnold Ventures. Um, is uh, another major foundation. And in each case, I think you've got uh, probably a different a set of uh, motivations, um, which we can only conjecture because it's not like the givers, you know, uh, go into great deep depth about what <clears throat> motivates them. But, you know, through their history and whatnot and some of the issues that they support, you get a general sense. Are they are they supporting it from a liberal perspective or from a conservative perspective? Is it a public safety perspective? Is it a monetary perspective? And at the end of the day, part of where you might end up is what does it matter? Although you can cross the line into ethical considerations to say, well, look, I'm not going to 
support something that uh, the Koch brothers uh, suggest I do because I'm so opposed to their stand on abortion or right. other social issues. Or that they fund and, other politicians that I don't like. Right, right. Uh, which could be a major list. But it, 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 if that... If that, if you want that to matter, then it can matter. That's your own, anyone's own personal judgment. But at the end of the day, to me, I wonder whether it's good science or not. Koch Brothers Fund, good research. And that research comes up with conclusions. Do those conclusions support their philosophical motivation? Well, uh, perhaps, if we knew a little bit more about what that was. Is that why they're funding it? Well, perhaps. But I think that they're asking an honest question and asking for an honest result. Nobody, certainly I'm not going to question uh, Doliak's uh, uh, approach to the research that she does. She's a very sound researcher, and she's doing it independent of the funding source that she has expressed. And I think that that's often the rule, certainly the rule with the Arnold Foundation, whose uh, funding has helped support some of the work I've done. They want to fund it, and part of the issue when you get major foundation funding, and I've had quite a bit over the years, is as Jennifer points out, Jennifer Doliak is, to what degree are they involved? Well, I've been in both situations where you go to a foundation, you you, you pitch them what you want to do, they like it, you put it in writing, they give you a check, and they say, fine, send me a report when you're done, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Others, which are, is very uncomfortable, and the types of foundations that I don't want to work with, in fact, I won't, are those that say, well, we're giving you the money, but we're on your management team. Mm-hmm. And then when you're sitting around the room doing the work, they have an opinion here, an opinion there. They want you to move in a certain direction. There's post-meetings, there's pre-meetings, and they are, in fact, pushing their particular agenda. Right. Or, or if it's not so much of a substantive agenda issue, it may be just a management style. I'll give you an example of what I mean. I'm in a, in a, in a room and there's a conservative, very well-known conservative uh, former politician who went to prison. And uh, he's expressing a viewpoint, which I just really disagree with. And I, you know, professionally disagree with his viewpoint and say, I, I, I don't think we can go in that direction. This is a project that I'm the, I'm the director of it using the foundation money, but the foundation person is sitting there mm-hmm. and she gives me a look during the meeting and then gives me a signal like a, you know, cut it off, cut it off right. signal. And then after the meeting is furious with me because she said, you showed such disrespect. Right. And I said, well, I actually didn't show any disrespect. I, I showed disagreement. disagreement. Right. And I'm not going to roll over for somebody who wants to promote this particular policy that this former prisoner, former legislator wanted to promote because it wasn't evidence-based. And she said, well, sometimes you have to bend on that. And I said, no, I don't. I don't have to bend on anything. And it's like, well, if you want to use our money, you do. And it's like, well, whose money is it? I thought it, it was your money. Right. I thought it was my money now. Mm-hmm. Well, as it turns out, it, you know, it, it went on and on that way. And it wasn't a particularly successful no. engagement. So, so and this was, this was, in fact, a liberal agenda. Mm-hmm. All right. So I'm not casting aspersions towards some, you know, right or wing group like the Koch brothers that are well known for for what you and I would consider uh, right of center uh, positions. But no, left of center. So with the Koch brothers, what is their motivation? Number one, because you might care about it and you might say, well, I'm not going to get tangled up in doing something that they support because I don't like their views on these other things. Well, that's fine. What is their motivation here? So these are. These are uh, very wealthy uh, individuals who want to see 
less money spent on the criminal justice system because it's wasteful. So you, you and think it's you think it's too naive to to think oh well they just want to make the system better they'll make the world a better place with their money. Uh, I, I I think they can have more than one motivation. I think that they do want that, and let's give them the credit that they want things better. But what do they want that money freed up to do? They want taxpayers' money freed up or less tax money freed up to be able to invest in economic growth. That economic growth, of course, is going to have economic financial benefit to their various corporations and companies. You can look at any corporation and know that at some point they are concerned about money. Right, but you, so you're, what if, what if the study that they funded suggested that we need to spend more? Uh, are they, do we imagine them to be uh, noble enough to accept those findings and, yes. and publish yes, them? Yes, I think we do, because they will fund doing more, but they may connect that with, well, we should be funding more of this and less of that. Uh, a case in point. You can, you can always point, push course, the needle. Oh, well, what, what's the most expensive form of response to criminal activity is imprisonment. It's 45, 65 bucks a day, depending on what uh, level of custody you're in, et cetera. So multiply that up by 365, you know, and you end up with, you know, uh -huh. so many thousands of dollars a year per prisoner. Multiply that millions. by a thousand prisons. Right. You get you get a big number. Well, their basic tenet, because they do follow the science, the good science, and that is that money is largely ineffective. So they are promoting doing a lot of different things that end up not spending the money that way, and they're doing a lot of things and promoting a lot of things on how we should spend that money instead. The challenge for any contributor, any funder, is you can't just stop and slow down funding prisons mm -hmm. and then wait and then take the reinvest and then reinvest it. You have to double down and invest on the smart stuff now, and then over time prove the value, prove the worth through what more good science. Mm -hmm. And then over time you end up with a with a more balanced system. They're in it for the long haul. They're putting their money where their mouth is. I've never uh, asked the Koch brothers for money, and I made a decision not to because I don't like their politics, and I'm afraid of their politics, Jennifer Doliak actually makes me less fearful. Mm -hmm. She's got a lot of credibility with me and she's got a, a lot of history and a lot of good science. And if she has these experiences, then it's addressing something very pointedly that you otherwise wouldn't know. You're not gonna read a research paper and then there's gonna be a footnote that says, oh, by the way, the people who gave me this money didn't interfere. Yeah, right. Right? I That's mean, why it's nice to have these insights from the, from, the, from the researchers themselves. Yes, uh, yes. And and that's a thing that social media and blogging and things allow that previously in academia, what got published was the paper. And you didn't that's necessarily right. get these insights, these, you know, hot takes, yeah. these podcasts about, right. uh, well, actually, it was quite nice to work with these with these people. Uh, right. So that's, well, that's, you know, that's cool. A great example of a, of a corporate interest that the Koch brothers have championed is to make certain that there are more opportunities for uh former prisoner or uh, former offender uh, employability, meaning ready for employment, uh, and employment options. And so they supported Ban the Box, which is, as we've discussed in previous podcasts, uh, a prohibition that you don't ask whether or not someone's had a felony conviction until you're probably at the interview stage so that you've got uh, equal opportunity for folks. Well, 
the research, and I don't know specifically what Dole Access said, you can post that, but I know in general that research has said that it's kind of backfired because what ends up happening is that people just don't interview black people. I think she was she was the spearhead of that uh, d- discovery that uh, that she was one of the first to publish about that from from what well, I read. Well, we but. can we can dig into that. So there you have um, a, a, a smart sounding policy, and it ends up having an unintended consequence. And the fact is, as, as I've said before, in the justice system, you can change things, and they'll change for a while. But if you're not very mindful and very accountable over a long period of time things will fall back to the way that we're because the justice system is basically a very deep rut and it's easy like a, a you know a, a wagon you know a kind of stoga wagon moving west you would try to stay out of the ruts but everything on the terrain that you're traveling pushes you back into the rut and if it rains and it's muddy you slip back in the rut and mm-hmm. it's the default right and so that's what happens here with this band the box people don't want to interview folks who they think is wasting their time because they've got a uh, illegitimate or perhaps even legitimate concerns about you know their their work ethic or, or whatever mm-hmm. so that the the fact that the Dole Act does the research and the Koch brothers say well we really need we need to rethink this this is good they're following science I know I, so I love it have, when a, right? when a, when a, when scientists change their mind with with new evidence that's the that's the most uh, that's the ideal of science is to have an idea get some evidence rethink your idea and say, well, I'm going to follow the evidence, not follow what I, what feels right to me or, or what I intuit. So. Right. And, we'll, and we'll, we'll see what happens, you know, as, as time goes on. But here, here, here's the other, the other factor that goes into it. There's not a lot of funding out there. And when you look at uh, research funding, I, I, you know, I'm constantly getting announcements from the Bureau of Justice Assistance and the, you know, BJA and the Bureau of uh, uh, Justice Services, BJS and whatnot, that they're funding research and it's all experimental research, meaning that there's, you know, uh, human subjects, mm-hmm. um, control groups, treatment groups, and you uh, provide some services, for example, and others you deny services to. And there's right. a real kind of ethical challenge yeah, with that. Yeah, we've discussed that, yep. And they really over, they really over, uh, overemphasize this research particularly when what they're funding is already went gone through experimental research and found to be effective if the methodology of the implementation is followed and then someone comes along and says, all right, well, this has been proven to be evidence-based. I'm going to go ahead and, and, and do it. Mm-hmm. And, and then the funder says, yeah, but then you have to do an experimental research design. And you can say, well, wait a minute, it's already been done. Now I can do right, a, but there's a thing a pro- in science about replicating results that is important. Sure. Well, and so you want to do two things. One is you want to measure the process, evaluate the process. To what degree did you follow the fidelity mm-hmm. of the research that said yes? When you do it this way, it works. That's a process evaluation that doesn't require human subjects. And if you want to measure the relative impact to see the degree. Let's say that your process says, well, you followed it most of the time and you put a percentage on it somehow and it's like you, you, you follow the model to 80th percentile, mm-hmm. all right? Well, you need another experimental research design to see the impact? No, you can do a match sample. So you can say, all right, well, we're going to take a look at the people that we're working with. You're going to compare them to a, a group from several years ago that didn't have the benefit of the intervention. And we're going to see if there's a statistical difference between the two groups. That doesn't require experimental human research. Yeah, and that's- so. Right. Yeah, the, the, that's so cool to me that uh, 
you know, math allows us to know things without without doing the direct experimentation by, you know, the same thing happens in, you know, physics and chemistry and stuff where we can we can reason about data that we already have in a way to discover new things about it that aren't immediately obvious like that math exactly. sample thing. Well, and it's so back back to the back to the larger point here of motivation and, you know, who has the money and how is that money dictated and what are the expected results? Here you have the federal government which is by far the largest funder of uh, research, although now with Koch Brothers and Arnold Foundation putting in you know, scores of millions, if not hundreds of millions over the years, we'd have to kind of check that. But what they are doing is they are pushing in a particular direction that, in my view, and this is arguable, but in my view, is a bad science. I'll give you an example. So in uh, Louisiana, uh, we worked there for years. The, uh, the Center for Justice Innovation, where, where I work, works there for years. We develop and adapt a model for improved prisoner reentry. And uh, the state government there uh, follows the rules of a solicitation from the Bureau of Justice Assistance, which requires an experimental research design. And they go ahead and they get the funding. And here they are. And now they're committed to do human subject research on an effort which is so experimental in its early stages that there's no way that what they'd be evaluating is a model per se but the beginnings of a model or different components of a model, it's not ready mm -hmm. for experimental research. I'm not arguing the point that at some point you shouldn't do experimental research. You should, but you should only do that when you say, aha, we finally arrived. We now have a model that's got all the components that we wanted to implement. Right, that's consistent with what we already know. It has funding attached to it, and we're really doing things differently both on a macro level and a micro level, so that an individual that's involved in the new Louisiana reentry initiative is going to say, this is my third time I've been in prison. It's really different this time for me, and mm -hmm. this is why, right? And then as a group, we could see differences in the recidivism rate, not because of an experimental research design and not necessarily because of a five-year study on recidivism, but simply by comparing the outcomes of the groups of people you're working with with a cohort or group of people who had similar characteristics from years ago. It doesn't prove cause and effect, but it gives you the, the, the positive uh, uh, points you need to be able to say, you know, I think we're on to the right stuff here. The, recent, the data that we're seeing, not cause and effect, but the data that we're seeing seems to be positive. Let's keep moving in this direction. Let's keep investing until the model is complete. Mm -hmm. And then when the model's complete, let's go ahead and do experimental research or if it, then, or if it's not better be willing to to uh to reject that whole hypothesis or whatever that's right well and consider this that uh in louisiana uh, as we've discussed the re-entry improvements have to do with doing a much better job before people get released from prison to assess their risk and their need mm -hmm. addressing their needs uh and their projected needs upon release before they get out so that they hit the ground lined up with substance abuse mental health programming, employability or employment issues, et cetera. And importantly, those services are funded. And they're funded for the group of people that you're you're using in your in your in your experiment or in your model. Well, if the experimental research design as it was initially designed here, and I believe that they've abandoned it uh, for some of the reasons I'm mentioning here, if that you you've you've got the better processes in place and you've got the better uh, uh, assessments of, of risk and need in place, but there isn't any additional funding. Mm -hmm. So it's like, well, we know a lot more about the guy and we can connect the guy a whole lot earlier, but at the end of the day, we don't have any services to plug him into. 
Why would you expect much of a different outcome? I wouldn't expect a statistically different outcome. Looking at a group of 500 people, I might be able to see some pockets of change with groups of five or 10 if they're returning to a community that's been able to use the model to raise money for services for five or 10. But I'm not ready to do an experimental research design yet because the model isn't, isn't there. I read this piece in an evaluation uh, journal um, that, 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 had, that had it in quotes. Um, we won't do experimental research until we're proud of our model. Yeah, I think you've mentioned that before, yeah. Right? And that's an interesting way to talk about it. It's, it's like, okay, look around the room, right? It's like moving into this, this new house. Are we, is, are we ready to have somebody come in and say, look, we're done? No. Right. How long will that take? Well, it'll take several months. Mm -hmm. Well, so, so are we ready? Well, no, we're not. Is it improved? Yes, it is. Can you see the improvements? Yes, you can. Can you measure the improvements? Well, to a certain degree, but we're not proud yet. And so when you think about the, the, the motivation of the Koch brothers, it seems to me that they are, and perhaps are better at this than, than what they once were. I'm not exactly sure. I'm not a big student of their history or anything. No, no. But it sounds to me, based on her assessment, that they are, in fact, doing the right thing, funding the right thing, and they're worthy, if not of support, to take a second look. Um, you know, and and who's to say that their money is being uh, better spent or as well spent as the Arnold money, right. which does in fact have much more of a, 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 a transparent. Uh, uh, we're funding this because we've got a, a, lots of money, and we're really alarmed by the ineffectiveness of the system. We just want it to see better because it affects people's life. When you hear the Arnolds and. Uh, Laura Arnold now has a podcast that we could uh, uh, cite in our in our sure, notes I will. that I want to listen. I haven't listened to it yet and see what she has to say. My guess is you're going to walk away from that podcast and say, wow, this is a very wealthy woman, very young, became wealthy at a, at a young age, um, who seems really motivated by, by just doing what's right. Well, at the end of the day, she's funding certain things. What if what she's funding isn't as smart science or as good science as the Koch brothers? Exactly. Do, as I, as a liberal, say, yeah, well, that's okay. It's Laura Arnold, right. as opposed to that's Koch brothers, yep, right? Exactly. So, you know, I think you got to get past that. The science is either good or it's not. And yep. if you want to support the science, you got to kind of look at the funding. I'm sick to death of looking at this stuff coming from the feds, from BJA and BJS, and then funding all this experimental research. It's like, oh my God, you denied services for the people. And guess what? You found no statistical significance. Well, duh. Okay. Right? And yeah, there's another a hundred million. Another hundred million dollars spent that could have been better spent. Yeah, with a predictable conclusion. Yeah, I like that. That's it. The what's important is the critical thinking on the science, and you know, leave your leave your political identity at the door and come in and look at the data. And does this does this work? Yeah. Uh, I, have, I have a question for you. Uh, I've heard that in in really across all the sciences, there's sort of this um, this crisis lately. Uh, I guess I've heard about it more in uh, psychology, where people are going back and trying to replicate uh, experiments from you know 40, 50 years ago that are sort of the bedrock of modern psychology, and they're having a really hard time doing so. There, there's this sort of uh, statistical, like they're not finding statistical uh, significance in things. Um, I'm wondering if there's any of that uh, that you know of with with uh, with the criminal sciences, but also. Uh, there's this phenomenon where if what you if what you study uh, doesn't find anything useful, you you don't publish it. You put your findings in your in your desk drawer and you don't publish it. 
And so, but what publishing that would would help do is it would it would other it would make it findable that uh, that someone looked into this and they found nothing. But if but well, if you're yeah. worried about your reputation, so you don't publish it, and then other people waste their time also finding nothing, it seems like it's important to publish negative results as well as uh, positive results. If that makes sense. Well, and, and I've, I've seen both, uh, uh, and, and frankly, the uh, I would dissect that using the same uh, criteria. Is it good science or bad science? If it's good science and it's good methodology and it finds no statistical relevance, it should be published. What I find is that when folks are doing poor methodology, they still publish. Right. And in the opening paragraph, they'll say, uh, we were unable to find a sample that was large enough to be able to do statistically relevant uh, analysis. Well, then don't nonetheless, publish. <laughs> listen, nonetheless, we find our findings are interesting enough that we think that they may give us some insights, so we'll publish anyway. Uh-huh. Then they go ahead and they provide their insights, which now are admittedly right. not backed up by science. Right. And so what's quoted are the conclusions. Yes. And then when you go to the study, you say, wait a minute, they looked at 10 people. Yeah. You know, and that, and, and nobody, no newspaper article, no politician, nobody who's going to use this, let's say in, in the case I'm thinking it was about a, uh, the, a risk need assessment tool, the compass that comes out of uh, North Point uh, Institute here in Michigan. And there was a study, I think her name was a schema out in uh, California. You can find this stuff. And uh, she published this report, which was widely, widely quoted and it was the negative stuff about the compass and it was it was i believe it was first published out in california and it created this controversy because the state of california was working with the compass to do risk assessment and people who were kind of opposed to that or uh, were uh, uh, you know on the fence about that used this article to say see right look what she says but they're quoting only certain sections of it so what it took was another scientist to look at the methodology of the first scientist, and when that second scientist published his article, it wasn't very interesting. Yeah, it turns out so it uh, wasn't widely quoted. The shock, the, the shocking stuff is the what goes viral, so to speak, and uh, right. gets shared. And the boring, uh, no, actually, that's not really an effect. Uh, doesn't 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 happen. Well, and, and 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 who is who is behind the research? You know, you've got researchers now here who are uh, gone from research to pushing products. Right, and so. They, they now are selling selling their own risk-need assessment tools. Our studies so, show that our products work. And they also then will use an opportunity to go ahead and bash their competition. Mm-hmm. Well, how good is the science? And we're back to, so what's your motivation? Right. If the, if the Cook brothers were, uh, and again, I'm pretty ignorant about uh, what, what they do, but uh, if, if they were... Uh, if they had a company that ran prisons or something, or if they had a, you know, if they were selling ankle monitors or whatever, then I think we should be a lot more suspect of their of their funds. But if if it's just if they're just doing it generally, as you suspect, for let's lower general corporate taxes on rich people around the board, uh, then it. It seems less less suspect, but I, I don't know. Well, and again, I think I'm we should be less less suspect of the funds per se and more suspect of the methodology right so that if if a, if a, a private company or a, 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 a researcher is now selling a product um, we know well we see we can understand the motivation of why they would publish this paper because it's harming their competition and by uh, you know indirect reference or perhaps even direct reference 
it improves their uh, edge on the competitive uh, market. Well, that's that not might, a bad that might, starting point. Exactly. That might, be, that might be true. Exactly. That might be totally true. If it's good science. It can't be discarded just because of who paid for right. it. Is, so is you, get back, you get back to whether it's good science or not. Exactly. You know, and, and so I think that's 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 where you end up. That's where you end up going. Um, is, you know, you follow science. Yeah, it's a shame. You know, as is rampant in our world of uh, social media sharing, it's a shame that uh, it's the sensational stuff that is most likely to, to get shared. And regardless of whether it's decent science yeah. or not. Yeah. Well, there was a documentary that I saw a, a glimpse of that uh, looked at uh, essentially, without using this term, fake news right. about science. And they would show uh, a clip of a, a news media, generally television, a news clip of a television, and they would say, uh, I think the one example I recall was that uh, uh, eating chocolate every day uh, is good for your heart right. or uh, a coffee found you know, to kill or, or whatever. And what the documentary did was went back to the science, and it was remarkable about what the science said compared to what was reported. Mm -hmm. So now we have an example of perhaps good science in the hands of a poor interpreter of science. Yeah, the media is terrible about about that. I um, just just the other just the other day, somebody posted on Twitter that um, new study links how much plaque you have on your teeth to risk of Alzheimer's disease. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a shocking thing. You don't think, oh, I need to brush my teeth so I don't uh, get Alzheimer's. And I was, I was curious. And so I clicked, I clicked through to the article. So the headline said that there's a, link, there's a link found. And then the actual news article said scientists found a potential link. And then I clicked on the actual, uh, the actual article. And it was all, at the very, in the abstract, it said, no direct causal evidence has been found, but in mice, blah, 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 blah. And just the escalation from... And this must annoy the hell out of scientists that publish really good, thoughtful, a year's worth of work, and they say, this is what we found. They want to publish it so that other scientists can take it and build off that. And then the news media pulls the, maybe, possibly, there's a link here, and then escalates it to a potential link, and then for sure there's a link. Uh, that's just got to be, right, right. for the, well, for the researchers, know, that's got to be so annoying. It's like, we well, didn't say think, that. And, and think, too, about uh, this, 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 uh, this issue. Uh, concerning politics and something like the Mueller report, where Mueller publishes a 400-page report. It's in black and white. Nobody's seen it. Uh, the Attorney General of the United States has a press conference and explains to people what's in it. Right. And then the media picks up, and depending on the, the slant of the media, the liberal mm -hmm. or, or not, is going to say exoneration or, you know... Total guilt, yeah. Worthy of... Right? And then when the report finally is published, it's like, well... It doesn't say that at all. It doesn't say and any of that. And says, well, that's our conclusion from reading it. Right. Well, that's not exactly what you said. And so it's the same type of thing. It's a spin. Mm -hmm. And perhaps the spin is more innocent than, than, than Barr would be. It's too, too, too bad that we've got to be thinking about the illegality uh, and the, the, the questionable general. motivation of the Attorney General of the United States, for God's sake. But that, that, that's the case as opposed to a media outlet where it might be an honest mistake because they're just not that bright. Right. Or and, yeah, not and, schooled and in the subject it, matter. Right. They don't understand it. They say, well, I don't know what this means, but here's the sentence here that I can link on. And that that becomes the first draft of the headline. But what and we, we know can report the, on it and we can and more importantly, we can say uh, coming up next, scientists may have found this or, you know, because right. what they want are eyes and minutes of eyes uh, right. to sell their ads right. because news is entertainment. Yeah. Well, in the news, the news reporter who writes an article 
puts a title on the article, which all news reporters know that's a working title. Right. Because the person that decides the title is the editor. Right. And the editor is going to design a title. I mean, I did a I did an interview once, and I was off the record. I was in North Carolina, some controversial issue. Asked me a question. I'm off the record. Off the record. Off the record. Off the record. And they finally say, um, ask me a question that's a yes or no question, and uh, I say no. And they say, is that on the record? And I said, yeah, you can put that on the record. They wrote a complete article about the whole interview. And they, and, and yes, a complete article about me saying no. Oh wow! Just from the one uh, word. Justice. Justice official denies blah blah blah. That's the headline. <laughs> the whole article was was about in the one quote. No, and 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 I got in uh, trouble uh, over it somehow in the politics of where I was working, and it just taught you a lesson, right? Uh-huh. That the the written word in this case it was written meeting rather than an interview, you know they can take a one word answer and turn it into a you know a, a hundred word two hundred word uh, newspaper article that it wasn't inaccurate. But right. I gave them the opening they needed to be able to publish something that was corroborated. Right. So there you go. Yeah, I've I've heard from people I know that deal with uh, with journalists that very often the person coming to interview you uh, already more or less has their story. They just want yeah. that sentence to, to be able to say uh, official denies it or whatever. And yeah. if you if you don't give them what they want, then often they'll go and interview somebody else until they find someone that does fit with their story. Right. Rarely do they interview well, someone and then and then go back and say, oh, well, you know, we thought this, but actually from talking to to the officials, it's actually this. I don't know. That's I'm being cynical again. Well, and if anything, it, what it teaches us as students of, of you know, who, who are seeking justice and, and trying to, to determine, you know, what paths we can take, it's best to not get your information from the news media but from a trusted source. I, and I, I'll give you an example. So we, we talked about funders and their motivation. I mean, look at nonprofits that are created with boards and whatnot, and they raise their money, perhaps from the Koch brothers or from other places, to do their work. Uh, what comes to mind is the sentencing project that I, who I've worked with for a long time. Mark Maurer has published a lot of uh, books on reducing racial disparity and whatnot. You can trust what he is saying or what is being published that you can, you can take it. Mm-hmm. As as good and positive, there's no doubt. Take it to the bank because of right. Take it to the bank. That's the phrase I was looking for. So um, anyway, to this point of motivation, even with with Mark Maurer, the sentencing project. What does Mark do? Mark looks at the science. If there's going to be methodology that's questionable, he's not going to print it. He's going to write about it. He's not going to explore it any further. He's not going to raise money to try to promote it. But if it's good science, he will. Right, and it's what a luxury to have your incentives and your your pay structure aligned like that. Not that you want to publish something that gets the most views to sell advertising to. You want to publish the most the most true right. uh, thing that you can. And it's not like and it's not like you know Mark is is somehow Mark Maurer is somehow making more money right. because he's promoting. It's not selling toothpaste. Right. Right. Now, it, it, when he does good science and he does good reporting as he does, it is going to further his credibility, and that furthering of the credibility allows him to raise money. But what does he do with the money? He doesn't get a you know a five hundred thousand dollar grant and give everybody a bonus and raises. Right. He does more of the good work, and that's that's why you promote a, a positive uh, nonprofits. Yeah, and that, that's sort of the theory behind the the tenure model of uh, universities. You're known to be good enough, and then you're sort of given leeway to where yeah. uh, you're not told what to what to research. We just trust you to yep. do good enough yep. that brings yep. that brings pride to both yep. you and to the university. Yep. So, 
Well, maybe one of the things we can do in uh, one of the upcoming podcasts is take a look at some examples of good science and bad science that are connected I like it. to different types of funding and, and, and see where we go. Well, this has been great. i got to run. All right. I will see you next week, Dennis. Thank you for listening. If you like what you've just heard, you can support us by telling a friend or sharing us on social media. All of our episodes can be found on our website, seekjustice.fm. If you'd like to get in touch with us, we can be reached at seekjusticefm at gmail.com or via our Twitter account at seekjusticefm. See you next week.